WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, February 11th, 2024. I am Rob Jerisan. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in to this live and local broadcast on this uh, big sports day. We will be here for one hour. A number of uh, topics we're going to kick around. Kind of going to focus on the Mississippi River a little bit today. Uh, Eric Olson, who also runs a little uh, radio show uh, down in the uh, Mississippi River Valley, down Red Wing area. He's going to join me. He and I have uh, I've been a guest on his show a time or two. He's been now. He's going to join me on my. We'll talk a little bit about uh, what's been going on with the river. There's some open water down there. Folks uh, getting out in boats, uh, and uh, it was also frozen over. Uh, I believe part of Pool Three uh, part, for part of this winter, uh, which is actually doesn't always happen. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. At 5.30, we're going to talk uh, with Ed Hahn from the National Eagle Center down in Wabasha, also on the Mississippi River. You know, eagle watching is kind of a big deal this time of year, not just here in Minnesota. We've got open water down in that uh, that Wabasha area because the, uh, the Chippewa River enters the river, the Mississippi, that is, uh, in that area, and it helps keep the water open, especially in a warm year like this. So there's there's good eagle watching. Uh, other places have eagle watching days too. Uh, Sauk City, Sauk Prairie in central Minnesota uh, by the Wisconsin River, they have an eagle watching day. So it's kind of a fun thing uh, during a quiet time of year to talk about a little non-game topic since I normally like to talk hook and bullet here on the broadcast. Uh, we are only seven days away from the snow goose opener, the spring snow goose opener. It's a, it's a so-called conservation order that's been around for more than 20 years and I think I mentioned this last week that most years you don't really even think about the snow goose opener in February being a thing, right? Because the birds are not here yet. There's snow everywhere. Everything's iced up. Everything's frozen over. Well, <laughs> that's not really the case this year. Uh, we've got we've got no snow. We've got open water in some places. So it's you know I got to think it's possible we're going to be talking about uh, maybe shooting some snow geese. A week to 10 days from now, uh, we'll have some uh, content on that in this week's print edition of Outdoor News, which I am the managing editor of. Uh, and maybe uh, maybe next week uh, we'll even get a guest to talk about spring snow goose hunting a little bit. Um, a couple of topics I want to get, kind of a fun thing I wanted to open this week's show with. Kind of a little bit of a dichotomy on the topic of of anti-hunting versus pro-hunting and how it all gets a little muddled and confused sometimes. Uh, Late this past week, (laughs) someone emailed me a story out of Florida. A legislator down there worked up uh, because he said uh, they they needed more liberalized uh, hunting regulations or the ability for folks to defend themselves against so-called crack bears. This is down in the – weird things happen down in Florida, right? Uh, we've got a legislator down there who, uh, Jason Schof, Chef is his name, who said uh, we, we, he introduced legislation that calls for an exemption to penalties for killing black bears without permits or authorizations from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission when Floridians are defending themselves, uh, their loved ones, or their property. Uh, he said that um, uh, he's, he's concerned about bears on crack, marauding around and and attacking people. When you run into one of these crack bears, you should be able to shoot it, period, he said. Uh, And you shouldn't have to pause or be afraid you're going to get arrested or harassed or pay fines. That's just crazy. Well, I I don't think anyone out there would dispute that if you run into a a crack bear that wants to attack you, 
yeah, you should have the ability to defend yourself. Uh, a couple points. I mean, one would be, I don't think there's any bears running around on crack. Uh, I mean, it made a nice, it made a fun movie here last year, the whole uh, cocaine bear thing. Uh, there's apparently in Florida, according to the report I'm reading, there's been, never been a fatal bear attack on a human in Florida. There's been some attacks, uh, but I, I guess I guess this representative's point is that bears are acclimating to people more. They're living in areas where you know, and, and and we're seeing that all over the country, areas where you're more where people sometimes live. They're getting into garbage cans and that sort of thing, and people should have the ability to defend themselves as one of these bears. You know, maybe it gets into a garbage can and it it, it finds a stash of uh, of uh, of some uh, cocaine or crack, and it does indeed get uh, whipped up and it attacks someone. You, know, you you should have the ability to defend yourself. I can't imagine any prosecutor would hold it against someone if they uh, you know killed a bear that was attacking them, uh, whether it was high on crack or not. Uh, you would think that uh, no no prosecutor would take up that case. But if there's not a law in the books that says you can defend yourself against, you know, attacking wildlife, uh, you know, I guess more power to Florida if you want to pass something like that. But it it, it just seems a little bit like uh, unnecessary grandstanding to me. Makes a fun headline, though, uh, crack bears, uh, even though they, like I say, don't exist. At the other extreme out in Colorado, um, at at the SHOT Show in Vegas, I had a reporter out there in the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and some other organizations held a press conference uh, trying to push back on an initiative in Colorado that would basically ban all wild cat hunting. It would ban hunting for bobcats and most, probably most high-profile cougar hunting, mountain lion hunting. And Colorado is, a, is an, an initiative, ballot and initiative state. We don't have that here in Minnesota, which I think is a good thing because I think sometimes some emotional sort of initiatives get passed. We've seen it in California and other uh, initiative and referendum states. It was a real big deal in the 90s. A lot of anti-hunting initiatives got passed. But this one's gaining ground, and some of these pro-hunting groups are saying this is a bad idea. And it struck me, uh, the details in the story that Eric Morkin wrote for Outdoor News, that it says management of of cougars and, and some of these other animals when bounty, you know, they used to have bounties on these animals for most of the 20th century. In 1965, these bounties were abolished. At the time, there were about 200 mountain lions verified in the state of Colorado. So they abandoned bounties. They made them a legitimate game animal, cougars. And today, after decades of managing them, there's somewhere between 3,800 and 4,000 cougars, 4,400 cougars, in the state of Colorado. So the, the, the result of making cougars a game animal is that the population in Colorado has gone up, I believe, 20 times. I think if my math is right, that's 2,000%. Uh, that, that's what the North American model of game management does. When you make some of these critters legitimate game animals and you manage them properly, you place a value on them, and their population generally increases. <clears throat> that's why I have... Down in Iowa, for example, black bears are regarded as, I believe, a vermin species to this day. And there's some effort down there to make them a game animal. I'd like to see that happen. I think it would be good for Minnesota. We've got a little bit of a fledging bear population in southeastern Minnesota. One reason I don't think it's growing as fast is because anytime a bear in southeastern Minnesota wanders south into Iowa, 
It's considered vermin. Anyone can shoot it, whether it's a crack bear or not. And that prevents that population in southeastern Minnesota from growing as quickly. Uh, I think it benefits everybody when we manage these animals properly, whether it's in Florida, Colorado, or Minnesota. So I, I hope I linked that up and made that understandable for everybody. Why don't we grab a break? 5.14 p.m. We'll be back. We're going to talk fishing, talk what's going on on the Mississippi River when we return. This is WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Driesline. Thank you for joining me on this Sunday, February 11th, 2024. We are here until 6 p.m. I want to jump in with a longtime friend of mine, a fellow radio guru, you might say. Uh, he, uh, he's got himself a little broadcast down the Mississippi River, downriver from the Twin Cities. His name is Eric Olson. He's a hardcore tournament fisherman, a ski ski instructor, and got a lot of other things going on. Eric, how are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. And you know, you don't have to sell out the rest of the of the, the, the show. I mean, you got you got great content right here. Come on, promote that, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I just got up the slopes recently today, so I uh, was uh, just enjoying some uh, snow in Minnesota today. So this is snow that was, this is made snow, I, I presume. Uh, how are the slopes? A uh, little, little cooler out there today than it was this past week, huh? Yeah, they were they were marginal, but uh, with the colder temps, uh, some of the areas are blowing a little bit more snow. But, yeah, the hills are intact. Get out and enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we've got probably another, I don't know, 30, 25 days left before it's gone, and then we're going into the big, hot and heavy with the fishing thing. So some people are hot and heavy with it right now, Rob, i got to tell you. Well, that, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I think a lot of folks in the Twin Cities don't understand what a great asset we have on the Mississippi River going downstream from the Twin Cities. And I take it a little personal. I'm, a, I'm an old river rat myself from that uh, <laughs> Winona, Trumplo, La Crosse area. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm one of those guys where you know people would say, oh, hey, we're all worked up. Yeah, it's, it's fishing opener coming up. And I'd always kind of do a double take, like, well, what do you mean? We've been fishing on the river all spring. Um in some places, there's open water fishing pretty much all winter some years, right, including uh, your Red Wing area thanks to that power plant. Absolutely. And, you know, the the fishing down there has been fantastic. You get warm days like obviously we've had this winter, but we've had kind of a, uh, I would call it the, maybe the best description would be a dichotomy or very the, the tale of two winters that, that happened. And the real struggle this year was the fact that normally it's open all year long from Red Wing, uh, well, down just about above Lake Pepin up to the dam at uh, Red Wing, right on Pool 3. And this year, uh, the businesses, resorts along that stretch were notified in December that the uh, power plant was going to be shutting down both reactors. And apparently, it changes the temperature of the water half to one degree. Uh, I think it's a little bit more than that. But nonetheless, they mentioned that they were going to be down. And of course, with the warm early temps, nobody was worried about it. And everybody was out catching fish and having a great time, <laughs> you know, sweatshirt weather. And, and uh-huh. it was like, hey, this is, we, get a, we have an extended fall. This is the best ever. And uh, lo and behold, come January 11th, what happens? We, we get a cold spell. And for the first time in 22 years, the river froze from the dam all the way down to Pepin, solid with about eight plus inches of ice. And the people that are the regulars in the river kind of, you know, I think they were in the fetal position, rocking back and forth, sucking their thumb, not knowing what to do. It was a kind of a a catastrophe for a lot of people. But uh, I, the river did open up. There's some there's some chunks in it right now. Still, obviously, as you have some various. Uh, 
the areas upstream that with the warmth that are breaking up. But nonetheless, they're back catching fish. Uh, and it's, needless to say, with the change, and of course you and I have talked about it at length, the change in the, the regulations on the on that body of water is really improving the the take and uh, the quality of fish and the sauger as well. So it, it's, like I say, tale of two winters, this is one of them to put in the books, that's for sure. Isn't that amazing? I think most people listening would be <laughs> would be shocked to find out that during this mild of of winters, this was actually the year that that pool actually froze up because they uh, they reduced the temperature, uh, and but then they increased it again. So now, like you were saying, it's 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 reopened, correct? It's reopened. And of course, everything happened at the same time. That the weather started getting warm, and then the, the reactors were put back in place, and and so it. It, it kind of it made a turn quite quickly, and uh, yeah, people are able to get their boats back in the water again. And, of course, like weekends like this, and obviously the coming weeks here, uh, we've got temperatures in the 30s during the day. That's going to be, I mean, fantastic for getting out and enjoying the river. And, and again, it is open year-round, and I agree with you. Everybody says, well, the Minnesota fishing opener, it's kind of like, going out a new year's even partying i don't need to do that i'd rather not <laughs> i'm gonna party i'm gonna have fun on the river all year long and i can do that without having to worry about the, the opener uh which is really the, the key piece to it but i will say this too rob you know a lot of times rivers are intimidating because mm-hmm. you've got three dimensions you've got yep. depth you've got uh temp you've got current and all those three things can be a little bit uh, of a, uh, I don't know, a challenge. Let's put it that way. And, and if I can jump thing. in, that depth, that depth can change rapidly on the Mississippi River, depending on what happens to the lock and dams, depending on how much water they're letting through. I mean, that that exactly. depth, that water, and and the flow can also change quickly. You know, and the, and the biggest thing I will tell everybody: all you do is look for a current seam, and it's simply you you get on the spot up by the dam and you pull in to see. Okay, now I don't have to hold it like 10 in order to stay in one spot and you move in, you'll see the current seam. The fish are going to be in the current seam as a basic start for you. Think about the current seam. You jiggle on the current seam or pull baits up the current seam, and that's where you're going to be successful. And that's really the key piece to it, working back and forth. And it's not difficult. Get out, try it, force yourself. If you're a a live bait person or you're a troller, force yourself to put the jig rods out and play with jigging and really get a handle on it. Because I'll tell you what, this last fall, I had an absolute blast and taught about 23 guys in different trips, just to, you know, friends taking people out. How much different it can be once you have the boat handling and it's night and day when you get that jig vertical and you're able to make that work. And that's really just one of the key pieces to river fishing. And uh, it's just a, it's a blast. You've got a ton of time to do it. You don't have to wait for the, uh, the opener to happen and get out and enjoy some fun boat time on the water now. You listen to WCCO Outdoors. I'm Rob Jerislein. We're chatting with Eric Olson a little bit about what's cooking on the Mississippi River downstream from the Twin Cities, that Red Wing area, Lake City area. Uh, you told me you'd get out and kind of check things out. What's the status of Lake Pepin? That's still frozen over, right? How are things? Any idea how things are downstream from uh, from Pepin? Um, I haven't had a chance to get down. I was going to drive down there, but I ended up having a work call that drags you back always, right? But uh, you know, most of the fishing in in spring is is up uh, up in that upper section of the pool. It's uh, you know the fish are migrating and they're and they're holding and wintering up there. That's you know the big project I think you're probably aware of where they're doing some dredging and they're making some wintering spots back by Bay City, and uh, so they're doing some significant uh, 
uh, work with that, some revetments, etc., on some of the islands in there. But uh, most of the the spring fishing you're going to find, even now, it's going to be up in that upper section of the pool, probably from the bridge. Usually it's the bridge in Red Wing up, and don't be afraid to, to take three ways and, and run those and, and uh, play with those and, and really experiment and understand the, a river a little bit. Take the time to go out and enjoy the, the warmth that's out there right now because you can't beat it, I'll tell you that. Eric, you're a hardcore tournament fishing guy, so you're probably looking ahead, obviously looking ahead to open water. You know, we've got, this is, I would say, still drought conditions. We went into winter with a drought. Uh, we don't have much snow out there. I Right now, I would say we're not going to see a whole lot of runoff coming. Uh, this does not look like the kind of spring we're going to have uh, big-time floods heading down the river. Uh, what does that mean? Does that basically mean lower water, and how will that affect fishing? Any predictions for what that means for the bite? Yeah, I think what you're going to find is is that the the water temperature goes up pretty quick. The fish will push, but they won't push the same rate. Um, a lot of times, that that's one of the biggest things. They they don't have the same spawning area, um, you know, back in the trees and everything else. So, two things it does: it condenses the fish and pushes them into areas that uh, are accessible rather than non-accessible, meaning in the trees and everywhere else. Um, the other thing is, I think you're going to find them moving in and out relatively quickly. Um, that's a, a, one of the things that can happen as well with that fishery. But uh, I think you're going to find more effect in the summer fishing. Um, you know, with extremely low water, what we found is in, in a lot of examinations and looking with the, the Lake City folks with the DNR, conversations with them, and, and it really is more impactful in the summer months when the fish have left the uh, areas of up by the dam and, and the river, quote unquote, the river area, and they move to the lake. It becomes very difficult when the water gets starts to get warmer, and the bite gets much more difficult. And that's where a lot of people switch to the smallmouth bite, etc. A lot of people don't know there's an amazing smallmouth bite in the river as well. So, um, pike bite. Uh, I've had some amazing pike uh, in evenings just throwing rattle traps or or uh, ripping wraps. Uh, just crazy how that changes but i will say that when the water is low um also you find a lot more people beached unexpectedly hmm. with sandbars yeah. so yep. uh, you know with that low water just make sure that you're following the channels until you get into the lake um those i mean really those are the key pieces and parts but um dissecting the river i will say this that's one of the big things that comes in and people are, are challenged by it which is kind of fun part but when you look at the water level it it doesn't allow people to say, well, I'm going to fish a memory that I fished this whatever right. day it was because that that water was 10 feet higher and flow makes a big difference. So you look at the flow, you look at a point that may be a key point, you know, you start looking at the key points down in the lake and changing your depth and looking at what's going on with that. So be aware of what's happening with the, the depth and the flow because the fish like flow when they move out to the lake then they're going to hang and be more traditional. So that's one of the things about Pepin that's different. Pepin fishes like a river and it fishes like, and I should say, mm -hmm. that stretch mm -hmm. of Pool 3. Pepin yeah. fishes like a lake, but you have a river that is a, it, it is a river. So you're fishing two, you can fish in one day, you can fish two completely different concepts. You can fish a lake, traditional points, live bait, um, all those key pieces, but then you can go back into the river and then you're fishing current seams. You're fishing all those key pieces. So <clears throat> understanding that you have a, a really diverse fishery and the capability that you have 
in expanding your experience, but also your knowledge and how to do that is paramount. And when I do and, seminars, uh, same thing. I, I tell you, you get some wind over that current on Lake Pepin, and I, I tell you, the rollers you get on that lake are amazing. <laughs> Eric, I tell you what, but I'm out of time this week. I appreciate you joining me. If folks want to see what you're up to, is there a website or something you'd recommend they visit? The, yeah, check out thevalleyoutdoors.com. We're on there all the time. We're uh, with you as well. So a lot of uh, yeah. a fun stuff. We love having you on the show. We're uh, in about 30 markets across the uh, Midwest and have a good time with that as well. So, again, yeah. thanks, Rob. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, get out there and go enjoy some open water fishing now. Don't wait till the openers. A lot of good uh, fish to be caught. Exactly. Thanks a lot, Eric, for joining me. Have a great evening and a great week ahead. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Yep. Eric Olson, I appreciate him giving us some river updates down Red Wing and Lake City Way. Let's get in a break. Uh, when we return, we'll talk about eagles down in that country. Wabashaw, the National Eagle Center. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, February 11th, 2024. Rob Dreesline from Outdoor News kicking around some outdoor topics until the top of the hour. Finally, back to some semi-normal temperatures here in the Twin Cities this weekend. Did you ever think you'd hear a Minnesotan upbeat about cooler temperatures during February in this town? I will admit I enjoyed the warmer temperatures as much as the next person this past week. But I think it's just fine if we maintain winter a little bit longer because, frankly, I'm not ready for yard work. How's that for a good excuse? For this segment, I would like to look to the skies and talk a little bit about the old National Eagle Center down in Wabasha, Minnesota, overlooking the Mississippi River. That's a facility we haven't talked about here much, but I've been there a time or two. I think it's an incredible facility, and believe it or not, right now is a pretty good time to talk about eagles. And here to do that is Ed Hahn, marketing director for that operation down Wabasha Way. Ed, thanks for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Rob. You know, Ed, why is Wabasha a logical place for a National Eagle Center? To uh, some folks out there, it might seem kind of random, but there's actually some good natural history behind it, right? There's some great natural history behind it, and it's probably one of the most common questions we get from from visitors who aren't from this region. It really has to do, uh, you turn back the clock back to when bald eagles were still critically endangered, and they gather in the wintertime along the upper Mississippi River wherever there are spots of open water so they still have access to fish. And basically you have uh, natural characteristics of the Mississippi River right there at Wabasha uh, that increase the current. So you have a very strong current there, and barring an extreme deep freeze, you have open channel all winter long in a typical winter. And so it's it's because the Chippewa River is hitting there, right? It's because of the Chippewa River feeding in just up upstream from mm-hmm. Wabasha, and you also have the narrowing of Lake Pepin back into just the river. You know, so basically Lake Pepin is a is a natural widening of the Mississippi River, and you have that very wide spot suddenly narrowing back down to just the main channel again. And just like anything, when you decrease the uh, bandwidth, so to speak, you suddenly have a much greater flow rate. So you have, <laughs> yeah, you have, uh, you have a, a pretty strong uh, channel flow there. The current is very strong. And so, yeah, you, you maintain open water all winter long, barring those sudden like minus 20 deep freezes. So that's why we're there. You go back to the 1980s, uh, a lot of people uh, in that area down there in Wabasha would 
go out on the weekends, they would do bald eagle viewing. And really, bald eagles were so endangered that that was one of the places that people knew about that you could reliably still see bald eagles during the winter time. And so uh, long story short, uh, those locals were bringing their friends and family to come view bald eagles. And in 1989, they incorporated into what is the legal entity of the National Eagle Center, which is Eagle Watch, Inc. And that subsequently became the National Eagle Center that we know and love today. They don't call it the Mississippi Flyway for nothing. You've got all kinds of birds that come up that corridor, especially eagles, this time of year. And they're they're basically staging there, right? They roost in a lot of those valleys, those bluff country valleys this time of year. And then they're going to head up and they're going to disperse across north country, across northern Minnesota, Ontario, Wisconsin, upper Michigan, and for, for nesting season, right? They're kind of staging to get ready to go hit as soon as that those lakes open up to get the prime nesting spots, right? Yes. Fall and spring are going to be the migration season. So you get a lot, a lot of waterfowl, your, your songbirds on the move. Bald eagles, it's kind of interesting because we have a very strong population in this part of the country anyway. Outside of Alaska, you have Minnesota, which has the second highest population of bald eagles. And I believe Wisconsin is number four. So extremely high population and especially along the river. But what you have, like what I just said, you know, in the wintertime, you get a lot of extra bald eagles from parts further north up in Canada, northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota. And they are actually coming into the upper Mississippi River Valley because, you know, typically their waterways are going to be freezing over completely. That cuts them off from fish. And so they're moving into the upper Mississippi River Valley, which really makes for some spectacular bald eagle viewing in the winter season. Quick little anecdote. In the early 90s, I was down in Winona as the outdoors writer down there, and I went for a walk on a, it was probably a March day. I went out to the Trumplow National Wildlife Refuge just as it was opening up, and I I counted on my walk more than 100 eagles on the ice, right, as, as that ice was going out, all the dead fish was coming up, the eagles were just having the time of their life. Then I got my copy of Outside Magazine that talked about great places to see eagles around North America. And it did not include the upper Mississippi River region. And I remember, you know, chuckling aloud, thinking, boy, they really blew that. This is one of the best places to see eagles. Is the word out since then that this is this is a great place to see eagles? Or do you still think it's somewhat uh, underexposed? I think it's it's both both yes and no. Yeah, a lot of people know that, that this part of the country really is an eagle viewing hotspot in the winter months. But at the same time, uh, there are lots of people who have probably no idea of, of that. And, you know, we certainly are not the only hotspot across the country. Um, places, you know, Washington State out by Puget Sound. Sure. Alaska is by far and away the highest wild bald eagle population in North America. So there are several other locations that that do have and are known for amazing bald eagle viewing. But yes, there there are plenty of people who have, just like yourself, and, and you know, I, I live in Winona, have either been here and had an amazing bald eagle viewing experience or, you know, have followed us on social media or whatever and know it. So, but there's, there's always room for improvement. We can always uh, spread the word even more and, and have more people come to the region, which we certainly would love to have happen. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline here. We're chatting with Ed Hahn from the National Eagle Center down in Wabasha, Minnesota. 
Their website, by the way, is nationaleaglecenter.org if you want to see some of the things they've got cooking uh, yet this winter and looking ahead into spring. I wanted to mention it's not just about bald eagles, is it? There is an annual survey you folks knock out, what is it, in January every year where you go looking for golden eagles. Uh, That's kind of an interesting phenomenon, how some golden eagles, I believe they're from the northern reaches of Canada, uh, winter in that bluff country region. That is correct, yeah. And that's uh, in terms of ornithological knowledge, that's actually a fairly recent discovery. They have been probably coming to this region, the, the Driftless region, Driftless area, and, and parts of eastern the eastern United States for probably centuries. Uh, but it's only a fairly recent discovery that we really are aware of it and acknowledging that, yes, there are golden eagles in this part of the United States and North America in the wintertime. Because you can look at bird books and range maps, you know, as recent as the 90s, and they will not show any presence of golden eagles in this part of North America. But one of my colleagues, Scott Mayhus, when he was just kind of starting out uh, with the DNR and moved to the area, he was seeing and reporting sightings of golden eagles. And of course, at first, there was a lot of skepticism that met those reports, uh, but he started bringing out uh, people and showing them what he was seeing and documenting it. And they said, oh, yeah, you're correct. So out of that came the Golden Eagle Survey, which is an annual event. We host that uh, the third Saturday of January every single year. And it's been growing over those 20 years. And so, yeah, we just did our 20th anniversary of that this past January. It has over 200 volunteer surveyors who go out on the same day. We've uh, had 92 survey routes this year, and those cover portions of six states, including Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and we just recently added some routes in Arkansas and Kentucky as well. So, hmm. Quickly, Ed, what were the results this year? Are you and, and what's the trend like? Are you seeing more Golden Eagles during those surveys, or is it uh, kind of fluctuated? Yeah, it definitely fluctuates. You know, you go back to a year like 2020 and 2021. 2020 had 119 golden eagles reported and observed. 2021 had uh, 126. Then we dipped down below 100 for 2022 and 23. And then this year it bounced back up to 115. So yeah, just a little, a lot of variability out there. I would say we were very happy to see that number go up again this year because as we start to look back, you know, we have two decades of data that we can look back on and kind of, you know, start parsing data and, and finding trends. But every year those results come in, you know, we immediately have those questions. Well, why was it down this year? Was it something with the, the population or the food sources or the weather? Or this year it was back up. Oh, well, what's the reason? Is it the milder conditions? Or so. That That's going to be something that I'm sure that is being analyzed and looked into for, for years and years and years. But every year that we collect more data, we are helping that understanding of golden eagles and their behavior. Ed, what is this winter, this non-winter, the winter that isn't meant for eagle viewing uh, in the Wabasha area? Are there more birds uh, you know, h- hanging in, in north country this year because of the mild temperatures? Or have you found that the, maybe the birds, the eagles are a little more dispersed and the viewing hasn't been as good? How's it going down Wabasha Way for eagle viewing in 2024? Yeah, it is a very much a mixed bag. Every year when, when winter rolls around, you know, we're getting people calling the center or emailing us and saying, well, when's the best time to, to come see eagles? Are you seeing eagles? You know, it's, it's funny because we always tell them, well, we can't 
guarantee that you're going to see eagles at any given time at any given location because they're wild animals and they move around and they keep their own schedules. So there's always a, a level of unpredictability and variability, but this year has made it even worse. The good news is that the bald eagles are definitely out there. You know, we count more than just golden eagles during the Golden Eagle survey, and this year's total bald eagle count blew the previous record out of the water hmm. um, okay. by almost 900 eagles counted. Wow, okay. So, so, so there's a lot of eagles in North Country right now. The, the, like. the lot of, yeah, there's a lot of eagles. The numbers are strong, but seeing them gathered together in those large congregations that really you know people want to get the photographs of, and that's why people want to come here, that is happening much less frequently because as you said, the water is open, they can spread out, they're yeah. you know, they're all across the backwaters in the Mississippi, they're even in the bluff country, which they normally are, but even more so because conditions are so mild and there's such a lack of snow cover. And they can, they, they they can scavenge not, out there more. I they imagine. can scavenge and they're not forced to bunch together like like we're used to in the winter. We're about out of time, Ed, but real quick a if folks want to visit the National Eagle Center, what, what can they expect? Is there a good time to visit? Well, there's always a good time to visit, and I would say that that's really any time. We always have the, the live Eagle Ambassadors that you can meet. They're on display daily. We are on our winter hours right now, so we're open Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. We are closed on Mondays. We have our, uh, our first SOAR Festival of the year coming up in March. That'll be the SOAR with the Eagles Spring Hatch. That will be the weekend of March 23rd and 24th. And we will have special exhibits. We will have some flying bird shows there. And of course, if you haven't been to the center since we remodeled back in 2022, you'll see all updated and, and refreshed exhibits in the center. And we're always happy to invite people in and share what we know and share the eagles with them. I have not been down there since the uh, remodel, so I need to get down there and check it out and, uh, and go enjoy your viewing platforms and uh, all the exhibits also. Ed, thanks a lot for joining us. It's uh, nationaleaglecenter.org if folks want more information, but fun catching up with you, and I encourage folks to check out the facility. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure to join you. Yeah, good good chat. Uh, have a great week ahead, Ed. You too. Ed Hahn, Marketing Director from the National Eagle Center in Wabasha, Minnesota, downstream from the Twin Cities nationaleaglecenter.org. Let's get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. Final few minutes of this week's broadcast of WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Jerisline is with you. I mentioned last week we had a fair amount of maple uh, tree tapping going on, folks, tapping trees for maple sap. I got to think that slowed down with the temperatures dropping a little bit, although it's still above freezing today with sun, which uh, still can generate some sap. But it uh, looks like in the week ahead, Going to get back below freezing a couple days, maybe of even normal temperatures. I wouldn't necessarily say below normal temperatures, but normal anyway. That probably will stop that uh, maple sap from uh, from dripping anymore, at least until we get into March again. We had a tornado down in uh, Madison. I got a son who lives down there, and he was, he was taking cover. It wasn't too far from him. <clears throat> Glad he he was uh, fine, obviously. Uh, but I got a press release here right before the show started from uh, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources saying that the Yahara chain, uh, the Yahara River, apparently the, the, there was some blockage, debris blocking the river. They were telling people not to go kayaking there. Uh, a couple levels of absurdity, right? You're talking about people kayaking in February in Wisconsin and then 
a tornado dumping so much debris in the river that is preventing people from kayaking in, in February. Uh, it's, it's just kind of one that you can't you can't make it up. A couple other quick items I wanted to point out. Outdoor News, every year we uh, award the person of the year. We usually do that around the Northwest Sports Show sometime in March. Uh, and uh, I would uh, like to encourage folks to nominate. If you know someone, a conservationist, who you think uh, should receive that award, I'd like to hear about it. You can email me, editor at outdoornews.com. You can also email uh, Tim Spielman, any nominations you have. By the end of February, that's when we're asking for our nominations, Tim at outdoornews.com. One of the two of us, uh, last year's recipient was Dave Pauley, former president of the Minnesota Sharptail Grouse Society. Uh, so we're looking for uh, someone for this coming year. Also, Scott Bestel, who's joined us here, uh, Scott uh, is undergoing chemotherapy, uh, and there's a benefit for him on Saturday, March 23rd, down in Rushford. Uh, to see some of the complete details on that, check out Mixed Bag in this week's print edition of Outdoor News. I will probably talk about that again, and I suspect we will also print that again in an upcoming edition of Outdoor News between now and March 23rd. Well, everybody, enjoy the game. Thanks for joining me on this broadcast. Stay tuned. Have a great evening and a great week out of doors. Rob Driesign signing off for WCCO Outdoors.